So that song that you all sang, Your Goodness is Running After, Running After Me, it reminds me of, I preached a sermon from the 23rd Psalm in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And in the middle of the sermon, I was walking down the aisle of the church and I grabbed one person on my left and I said, you'll be goodness. And I grabbed someone else on my right and said, you'll be mercy. And they were running after me. So God's goodness is, is running after me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather and worship you today. In this free country, uh, sometimes we take that for granted. And we thank you for this Advent season, this season that reminds us that the person of Jesus Christ came into this world. And as people of faith, we are looking forward to a second Advent of Christ in the midst of all that's going on around us. Thank you for coming to us on a regular basis as we gather and worship in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Carl, for bringing the cross forward as you do every Sunday. Our gospel lesson for today opens with John the Baptist in prison. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it talks about John's arrest, but the writer really doesn't explain why John is in prison. While in prison, John the Baptist heard about the activities of Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah is a form of the Hebrew word uh, for anointed, just as Christ is a form of the Greek word for anointed in the Old Testament. Kings and priests were anointed or they were set apart for their respective offices. And so the people of Israel and his disciples had, had pegged Jesus as a warrior Messiah the anointed one who would be a warrior like a King David who would deliver them from all of the Roman occupation, restore Israel to its former glory days and set up a new kingdom with the disciples as the members of Jesus's cabinet. The people who initially followed him expected Jesus to take the throne. They didn't expect Jesus to take the cross. But Jesus's kingdom was not of that realm. So in our text for today, with his preconceived notions about the Messiah, John is in prison and he somehow hears about what the Messiah is doing. Because John the Baptist can't go to Jesus himself in person, he, he sends a message to Jesus by his two disciples to ask this really puzzling question. Are you the one or should we wait for someone else? Why on earth would John the Baptist ask such a question? After all, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41 to 42, we are told that even before John the Baptist and Jesus were born, Mary visited Elizabeth and John's mother. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, John the Baptist leaped in her womb. Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. John the Baptist was there at the baptism of Jesus when the heavens opened up and the spirit descended like a dove. 
And he heard this roaring voice come from heaven. You are my son, beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It was John the Baptist who was appointed as the forerunner of the Messiah, who on the Jordan banks preached this message, this warning against sin and this, this warning against judgment and telling the people that they needed to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the advent of Jesus for Jesus' coming was John the Baptist who saw all of these things. How could this same John the Baptist now question whether Jesus is the promised one, whether Jesus is the Messiah to come? John the Baptist was so eager, he was so energetic and so full of confidence and certainty. In Matthew chapter 4, as he burst on the scene, he sent to prepare the people for the mind of God. How could John the Baptist, who preached repentance with great expectation and announced the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, now appear to be a person of doubt, now appears to be someone who questions his identity and whether Jesus is the promised Messiah that he had preached about, that he had been waiting for. Maybe like many of us today, John the Baptist thought he knew Jesus, thought he had Jesus figured out. But now the one who appeared confident that he knew Jesus is now questioning who Jesus was. The A part of verse 2 gives us a little clue as to why John the Baptist might have asked this question, this really strange question. Matthew says, when John the Baptist heard what Jesus was doing, when John the Baptist heard what Jesus was doing, Matthew could have written, when John the Baptist heard what the Messiah was not doing, John the Baptist had told the people that the axe was lying at the root and they're ready to chop down every tree that was unworthy. John the Baptist had promised that the chaff or the trash would be thrown into the fire. John the Baptist appeared to be expecting a different kind of Messiah, maybe a hellfire and brimstone Messiah. And Jesus is not living up to what John the Baptist had expected. Jesus is not living up to his billings. Jesus is not living up to the expectations. So John the Baptist is confused. I preached about this person who is going to put everybody in hell, and here he comes trying to put people in heaven. John the Baptist is confused. In the news this week, the world has celebrated the death of some significant people, Rosalind Carter, Henry Kissinger for a few. And in the black church community, two prominent black church leaders whom I respect a lot, both crossed over to the other side. The Reverend Dr. Charles Adams, who led Detroit's most prominent church, and he was widely known as the Harvard Hooper. 
Now, if you know anything about black churches, you know, there's this, there's this sort of kind of song that happens at the end of the sermon and the celebration and the, the pastor. Have you ever been to a black church, anybody? Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> I love the Lord. <laughs> he heard my cry. That's a black church. When the, when the preachers, you know, you've never experienced that with me. When the preachers get excited, <laughs> this is the song. They just, who, you know, I, I don't even want to mess with it. Because <laughs> the Holy Ghost might get on me and then y'all be here all night. <laughs> but he's known as the Harvard Hooper. And he, he went to an Ivy League seminary. Very intellectual man, and he's a passionate preacher. But some people just thought he was entertaining, failing to see his amazing homiletical and exegetical skills. The way he can look at a text and break a text down was absolutely amazing. Dr. Charles Gilchrist Adams, may he rest in peace. But the other prominent black preacher that died this week was Bishop Carlton Pearson an international megachurch pastor in the denomination, the Church of God in Christ of Oklahoma. He was an actor, a director in the movie, the Netflix movie, Come Sunday, a documentary on his rise and fall in the evangelical Christian church circle. And once Bishop Carlton Pearson, who had these recording sessions with hundreds of thousands of people gathering. He had a church with 6,000 members in the Pentecostal church. And once he began to speak truth with love, once he began to question the denomination's core doctrines and beliefs on hell and gay rights, he was deemed a heretic. He was castigated by his friends. He said, he said even his colleagues who he married and baptized their children cut him off, alienated him. Black and white churches in the evangelical community, some of them asked the same question of Bishop Pearson, are you the one or should we look for another? Just because he changed his dogmatic views on everybody else but us is going to hell and began to believe in a God that really wanted to invite everyone into heaven. Are you the one? Or should we look for another? Maybe John the Baptist's question is partly due to his understanding of what he thought the Messiah would be like and what he expected the Messiah to do. You see, our gospel lesson emphasizes the healing and the saving and the liberating and the empowering ministry that Jesus was engaged in. So John the Baptist's question, it appears that Jesus's actions, Jesus's activities came as a surprise to John the Baptist as Jesus wasn't living up to what he thought Jesus should be doing. Jesus should be coming preaching hell, fire, and brimstone, but Jesus comes preaching love, mercy, and grace. Are you the one? You see, instead of the Messiah being in the beginning of his ministry confronting people 
That's what John the Baptist wanted. He wanted a Messiah who would confront people, but Jesus came comforting people. And so John asked the question, are you the one? Jesus came pronouncing blessings on the poor. Jesus came pronouncing blessings on the meek. Jesus came asking people to be peacemakers, calling his disciples to love their enemies. Jesus came warning them not to judge one another. Jesus came eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus came letting prostitutes wash his feet pronouncing forgiveness to everyone. And that's not what John the Baptist was expecting. So he says, are you the one? Jesus came hanging out with the very people John the Baptist probably expected to be chopped and tossed into hell. It confused John the Baptist. This wasn't in the script. But John the Baptist heard about Jesus' teaching seems weak in comparison to the actions that he anticipated that Jesus would participate in. So John the Baptist says, maybe there's somebody coming after you. Maybe we should look for another one. Are you the one? John the Baptist, who was so devoted his entire ministry, even giving his life, his head would be chopped off. To preparing the way for Jesus now appears not to recognize Jesus when he comes. And how often do you and I, like John the Baptist, fail to recognize Jesus when he comes? because Jesus comes to us unexpectedly. I've told this story before, and I'm sure many of you have heard this story multiple times in different versions of the story. You know, the, 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 the person who is in living in, a, in an area that's being flooded, and uh, the person is a person of faith, and they, they, they said, you know, I'm just going to trust God to come and deliver me. So there was a news radio flash, get out of your house, go to higher ground if you want to be safe. And they said, no, I'm just going to stay here and pray. I'm going to trust God. And the person came by with the boat and said, hey, the water is getting higher. It's almost to your rooftop. We can take you and save you. He said, no, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to stay here and pray. <laughs> person came with a helicopter when they were standing on their roof, said, I can take you to safety. No, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to pray. Well, you know what happens. They die. Get to heaven. Get to the gate and sees Peter and said, Peter, I want to talk to God. Because God said he or she or they would save me. Peter took the person to God and, and the person said, why didn't you save me? God said, what are you doing here? I sent you a news report. I sent you a boat. And I sent you a helicopter. What are you doing here? Peter was, John the Baptist was surprised at who it was. John the Baptist demonstrates in our lesson 
what happens to our narrow expectation. This, this person expected Jesus or God to actually come down from the sky and pick them up out of their flooded house when God had already sent provision in those three other ways. And John the Baptist demonstrates in our lesson what happens to our narrow expectations for the Messiah came as promised. But Jesus came in a way that John the Baptist did not expect. The truth is we all have expectations about the kind of Messiah that we want, all of us. What kind of Messiah do you want? Messiah who brings comfort, Messiah who brings wealth and prosperity, Messiah who brings no pain, no suffering, no death. Maybe you want a Martin Luther King Jr. Messiah who will champion for your favorite cause or your favorite agenda. Maybe you want a Christ who will assure you that God is on your side and God is against everybody who's not on your side. Maybe you want a Messiah that's of your political party, your country, your denomination, your race, your sexual orientation. Maybe you want an excellent capitalistic upper middle class American born Messiah who would never call you to give away anything. Maybe you want a Jonathan Edwards Messiah, sinners in the hands of an angry God, angry fire, brimstone, flame-throwing Messiah. What kind of Messiah do you want? A Savior who would not demand or require anything of you? A Messiah who is okay with nominal devotion and commitment and doesn't infringe on our comforts or assume that we would have any level of commitment? What kind of Messiah do I want? Sooner or later, however, when our ideas and expectations about what Jesus should be doing do not match the report of what Jesus is doing, we too might be guilty of asking the same question that John the Baptist asked. You're not what I was looking for. <laughs> Are you the one? Or should I look for someone else? What I love about Jesus and the Jesus of Scripture is that he often different, he has different priorities. Jesus has different priorities than we have and repeatedly upsets our expectations. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus breaks out of those boxes that we want to put Jesus into. The Jesus of scripture has a way of never staying where we want to put him. We want to put Jesus in our stereotypes. We want to put Jesus on a cross. We want to put Jesus in a tomb. The Jesus of the Bible often appears in places and forms that we never thought to look for him. And that's why we miss him. We miss Jesus because we're looking for Jesus sometimes in the wrong places. We're expecting Jesus in the wrong locations. 
We're constantly being surprised by the Jesus of Scripture. The question is, are we willing to be surprised? Are you willing to be surprised? Are we willing to let Jesus challenge the ways we've always thought about Jesus and require us to reorient certain things in our hearts? Are you the one? For instance, if, you, if, if, if we were to discover God quite clearly at work in the life of a person we usually deem to be beyond the orthodox, you know, like Carlton Pearson, when he stopped following the party line, when he stopped saying that he had the power to put people in hell, when he stopped saying that God only loved these people and doesn't love these people, then he was excommunicated. How do you answer the question? Can we remember the last time we read a part of the Bible or heard a sermon based on the Bible that didn't simply confirm everything that you believed? What do you do then? <laughs> when you read or hear a sermon that doesn't just put a rubber stamp on what you believe, what do you do? Well, Pastor, I'm sure missed it that Sunday. <laughs> Can you recall the last time you felt genuinely convicted by something you heard maybe you've never known or that you had not known or had actively resisted? Does this ever happen to you? Do you ever have those aha moments when you're either studying the Bible on your own or in a worship experience and you hear a song or you hear a prayer or you hear a scripture uh, interpreted in a different way than you're accustomed to hear? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do we skip the parts of the Bible that may affect us? Do we skip the parts of the Bible that really challenge us? When a sermon gives us a new thing to think about, like I hope I'm doing right here, do we prayerfully ponder such matters or we shake our head and say, well, can I sure got it wrong today? <laughs> what do you do? I think it's, it's, of course it's wrong never to be surprised by a new perspective. We must admit that it's equally bad to be so wishy-washy that everything just changes our mind and leads us down a path. But amid a society that loves to adopt a new idea by trashing traditional ones, a significant portion of our strength is that we are anchored in faith. Yes, that's true. But what happens when that faith is shaken? What do you do then? Still, even with the security provided by the foundation of our faith, I think we must admit that God's creation is vast. God's creation is vast, bursting with variety. And for someone to say this is the only way that it could be understood boggles my mind. I don't know about you. <laughs> God's salvation is beyond my ability to understand. 
God's salvation is beyond my ability to comprehend. It's depth and it's scope fully. I just can't even wrap half of my mind around it. So we tend to have short-term, near-term goals and, and visions limited by the blinders that we have. But God's plan is more extensive. It's never a sense that we feel boggled down to have to hold one particular view all our life. What if God opened up the scriptures to us in a new way? Is that possible? All right. Jesus surprised John the Baptist is what I'm saying. Who was then asked, the question, what kind of Messiah was he looking for? Was he looking for a Messiah made in God's image or was he looking for a Messiah made in his image? Are you the one? Or should we look for another? This is a million dollar question we encounter. And I'm gonna leave you with that. <laughs> Are you looking for another, another pastor? <laughs> Are you the one? <laughs> Are you the one? When Jesus challenges us in our life, do we ask the question, no, move next. Are you the one? When Jesus challenges us in our faith walk, no, move on. Are you the one? When Jesus challenges us in our commitment, and how we treat our siblings, not just the blood ones, but the ones that are on the streets, the ones that are across the street, the ones that are down the street. Are you the one? Should we look for another? Let's pray. God, we thank you that there's so many ways that you reveal yourself to us. Help us never to try and put you or each other in boxes, but be open to the many ways that you come and reveal yourself to us. Amen.